Hello, and welcome to A Year with Jesus. I'm Philip. And I'm Bill. This week's reading is in Matthew chapter 15 and 16. Bill, when we look at chapter 15, Jesus begins meeting with a group of people that do not like what he has to say. That's right. Yeah. I mean, so you, you have the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and what they're actually going to do is they're going to come, they're going to question him. But the reason why they question him is, is not because Jesus is violating God's command in some way. Uh, the reason why they're upset is because of traditions. Yeah, and they're asking Jesus, how come your followers aren't acting like us? How come they're not following all these traditions that we've placed so much value on? But as Jesus so often does, he turns back and asks them a question. Yeah, and and I love their question. I I love Jesus' question because he says, okay, you care about these traditions, but how do you actually feel about the words of God? What are you doing with God's commands? And so he tells them, actually, you know, I I enjoy what he says. I don't so much enjoy it. I think it's interesting what he says to them in the rebuke because he calls them hypocrites. And I think in part because what they're doing is they're, they're making these vows, right? And in these vows, what they're saying is, well, I can't help my mom and my dad because I've vowed these things to God. I actually think they mean after they're after they themselves are dead. But it, it was a convenient way for them to keep all of their possessions and at the same time give off this feeling that they're serving God. And so here's a human tradition that they've set. And the human tradition has actually replaced them serving God. And I think we have to look at our own lives and make sure we're not following into that same trap where we've used God as some kind of justification for selfishness. Mm-hmm. We've used God as some kind of justification for uh, neglecting people that we actually have a responsibility from God to care for, even sacrificially. And so Jesus says, your worship has become vain. Your teaching is doctrine, the precepts of men. And Everything we've seen about Jesus so far shows us that he's expecting kingdom citizens to be countercultural, to do some things that are really hard. Mm -hmm. And the traditions here were were set up to justify and make things less hard, less countercultural. And we need to make sure we're looking back to go, no, we're in the footsteps of Jesus. That's right. And I I think whenever we we find ourselves keeping the traditions of men and putting God's word in second place, I mean, notice what Jesus calls it. He calls it, you're transgressing the commandments of God. You're uh, for the sake of their traditions. He'll say later on that they're invalidating God's word. They're almost, they're removing the value. They're removing the the the, the, the firmness, you know what I mean, of God's word to keep their traditions. And I, I just think, you think about like, that's a thing that happens today. I think we need to be careful about that. Even just in our own, in Christendom, it's, it's, there's a temptation for us to create traditions and you hold the tradition so long, you almost think it becomes commands themselves, you know, like, like I, I think about this, right? So, so when I first started to go to Bible class, the, it was, it, the church that I went to was Sherman up in, up in New York. We had Bible class Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. And, uh, and I remember that, uh, that for, for the first time I went to church on a Wednesday night, I was like, hang on a second, Bible class on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. It's Tuesday Why? nights and Thursday nights. Cause you're just a cut. Like I, that's, that's just what I became accustomed to. And I'm sure people think, well, it ha- you know, if a church meets, it's got to be on a Wednesday night, you know, right. and you can, you can create these traditions and Jesus will say, are, are you following God's commands? And anything else is just added. But are you following God's commands as we find them in, in the word? That's fantastic. And then there's another huge lesson that follows this because the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, you said that really firmly. You said that really in a convicting way and you've offended them. What are we supposed to learn about the disciples' response to Jesus here? Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think the disciples are kind of afraid of how the word was going to affect people. Uh it, 
it, but I don't know. I don't know if they wanted them to like pillow it. I don't know if they wanted Jesus to pillow it or not. But Jesus is like the word is what it's going to be. These people are blind and they want to live blind lives. And so let the blind follow, let the blind guide the, the blind is what he says. And I tell you for myself, I've had to look at that a lot and say, am I following blind guides? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be somebody that just follows the traditions or am I going to make sure I set my eyes on Jesus? And I love this theme we're doing this year at Embry Hills, where we're trying to set our eyes on Jesus mm-hmm. to know that, yes, sometimes people are going to be offended, but walking in his footsteps is the only path to really be in. So then he pushes us to consider the heart. He wants the disciples to understand that the things that come out of the heart, the evil thoughts, the murders, the adulteries, the fornications, the thefts, the false witnesses, the slanders, this is what actually makes us unclean. And so these Pharisees needed to consider where their heart really was in their selfishness and in their self-justifications. And the disciples need to consider, hey, where is your heart as well? And so I think it's, I think, so the story continues. So they start and their issue is you're not washing hands. Jesus says it's what's in the heart that defiles the person, what comes out of the heart, not what goes in. And the very next story, we actually meet a Canaanite woman who, in theory, would have been unclean, yeah. probably had unclean hands, all of that. And she comes to Jesus and she's begging for Jesus to have mercy on her. And Philip, what do you, I mean, what do you think of what Jesus says to her? Well, I noticed that the disciples are imploring him in verse 23, please just send this annoying person away. And yet Jesus is giving her the opportunity to show how bad she really wants it and how strong her faith really is. Absolutely. And so when she cries out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, that's a prayer for all of us. Mm-hmm. Lord, I need you. I need your mercy. And I know who you are. You're the king. Mm -hmm. You're the son of David. And so Jesus finally looks at her after giving her the most humbling statement to say, we can't give this to the dogs. And she says, the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Jesus is so impressed here. I mean, that sounds, doesn't that sound a little more offensive than what he told? You don't see the disciples here saying, but Jesus, you might have offended her. You that's know? right. That's right. And so like they were like, you might have offended the Pharisees, but not here. But I, I think this is, the story is really interesting kind of where it falls because it, the story sandwiched between Jesus feeding the 5,000 and feeding the 4,000. And this woman, the disciples don't get it, you know, and we'll see this a little bit later yeah. on. They don't get the story of the bread. But for this woman, she understands even the crumbs that come from Jesus are better than anything else in the breads of the world. And so she's, she's, she's saying like, this is the only place I can come to find real mercy, regardless of what that means about me. And if I'm a dog, you know, and, and, and comparatively, she is, and we all are in front of Jesus. That's right. You can see that she doesn't have a sense of self-righteousness mm-hmm. like the Pharisees do. She has a sense of acknowledging her real need and of loving her daughter, right? Daughter? Yeah, so daughter, much. Yeah. yeah, daughter in verse 22. Loving her daughter so much that she would not let anything stop her from seeking out the mercy of God. And that's it's the sort awesome. of faith that Jesus, he works with. And so, in the, you know, as the story continues, he'll then, you know, he just, he fed the 5,000. He talks about the breadcrumbs here. Uh, he'll continue to teach and he'll feel compassion on the people. And then he will feed, again, another another large crowd of 4,000 people. Yes. He, here he takes seven loaves and a few small fish and feeds 4,000 people. The disciples are able to pick up seven baskets full. And Jesus now uses this concept of having fed the 5,000 and feeding the 4,000 to start 
explaining to the disciples where things are moving in his ministry. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees are asking for a sign, and the uh, the apostles here are asking to understand why they have to be aware of the influence here, the leaven of the Pharisees. And nobody really understands this. So with the Pharisees, Jesus is just saying, wait a minute, if you can if you can tell something about the weather, if you can see a big storm cloud coming and you know it's going to rain, mm-hmm. or if you can see a beautiful sunrise and you know it's going to be a beautiful day, then how can you not see me standing here doing these miracles, healing the lame, the crippled, the blind? And you don't know that the kingdom is at hand? He's really challenging them there. And he mentions the sign of Jonah. What's the sign yeah. of Jonah? I mean, so we know that Jonah, if you've read the story of Jonah, Jonah gets swallowed up by the fish and he's in the fish for, for three days. And afterwards, he's spat up. And then Jonah goes and preaches to Nineveh. And I, I think that in part plays a role in Nineveh's repentance back in, sure. in, in Jonah chapter 3. I think that's part of Jesus' point is I'm going to be swallowed up, not by a fish, but I'll be swallowed up by death. But I'll, I'll come out. And He's three, coming back. And, and that will be the sign. But I, you know what's, what, what fascinates me with all of this is that they're asking for a sign right after he fed 4,000 people. You don't think people would have talked about the fact that something miraculous just happened? Right. It's not a sincere question, is Correct. it? Correct. And, and so, again, their unbelief has very little to do with a lack of sign. It actually has a lot to do with a lack of desire to believe. And I think you see that uh, in the disciples, uh, in, in the Pharisees. But like you, like you already mentioned, from verses 5 through 12, you kind of see the, the disciples themselves. This is not their best. It's just not their best moment, you know, Right? because uh, he says all of that about, about the, the lack of bread. And, and they, they just they don't get it. And I wonder if that's sometimes I wonder if Bill, that's Bill sometimes, you know, God will kind of he'll do this thing or he'll help me through his people. And then, like, later on, I still don't get it. You know, I'm like, but God, I thought you were going to help me with this. Or, God, I don't know why I'm struggling with this. And it's like, you've seen me feed 5,000. You've seen me feed 4,000. You've seen the faith of of people like this Canaanite woman. Just trust me. I'm going to take care of you. Yes. And take your eyes off of this world. Take Mm -hmm. your eyes off of these physical things and these physical concerns. And pay attention because the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Their self-righteousness, as well as just the way they're treating the scriptures as a whole Mm -hmm. and their rejection of the miracles of Jesus, that's a dangerous thing. And we live in a world where there is skepticism and there is doubt that is dangerous. And it's not because Jesus doesn't want us to ask good questions or bring our concerns or doubts to him, but it's because he doesn't want us to fall into this pattern of our culture that ignores the huge evidence that it's sitting right in front of them. And these disciples have been shown that God can take care of all the bread mm-hmm. that they or anyone else ever needs. They need to be focused on the words of Christ. And, and, and the person of Christ. So that as the story continues, then Jesus will say, who do the people say that I am? You know, and they give all these different answers. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah. And I love it because he, he gets real with them. Okay, that's what people say. But you, who do you say that I am? You know, and that's where Peter makes this this huge confession. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And and then Jesus kind of gets into saying these puns, you know, so blessed are you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. What do you think he means by that? Well, it seems that Jesus definitely is using a play on the meaning of his name. Mm-hmm. But he's coming back to say this confession, this faith that you have in my identity, you've understood that I am the Christ. You've understood that I am the son of the one true living God. That's what I'm going to build my people on, yeah. my kingdom on. He calls it my church here. So so it's not on Peter himself. It's no. not Peter's, you know, Peter being the Pope or whatever, however people like to, to kind of run with that. Right. It's on this great faith. And 
Still today, we see that our relationship in the church is built on faith. Our salvation is Mm. built on faith. Jesus has built a kingdom around this understanding of who he actually is. And more than just a mental acknowledgement of this, but this commitment to follow him and trust him, even in our times where it humbles us and where we find ourselves to be challenged. So why do you think it's significant that he calls it my church? Yeah, because again, if if a church just means an assembly of people, it was not going to belong to the apostles. It was not going to belong to Peter. It was going to belong to Jesus himself. And and I think the reason why it has to belong to Jesus is because the gates of Hades or the gates of death we're not going to overpower Jesus. You think about how this connects with the very next story where he starts to foretell the things that are going to happen to him, the fact that he's going to die. I think he's, he's letting them know it has to be built on me. That's right. And this is one of four times in the book of Matthew where mm-hmm. he is going to speak about his death as an upcoming event. And I especially like here, the details that Jesus begins revealing to the apostles, that he's going to suffer many things. He's going to be killed and he's going to be raised up on the third day. This was a very difficult thing for Peter to begin to accept or wrap his mind around so that Jesus even has to rebuke him. But Jesus is making it clear where this ministry is going mm-hmm. and what kind of sacrifice he's willing to make for his people. And, and that if you want to be a part of his people, if you want to be a part of his church, that he asked for the same thing. And that's kind of how the, the chapter ends is he said, you know, if anybody wishes to come after me, well, you have to go where he's going. And he's already told you where he's going. He's already told you he's going to the cross. He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected by those people yep. that you're afraid of offending that, you know, the apostles were afraid of offending with the scribes and the Pharisees. Those are going to be the same people that were going to put Jesus to death. And he says, and if you, if you really want to follow after me, it's going to mean rejection by those same people. Yeah, there are going to be some things that we lay down and that we lose. We're going to deny ourselves. We're going to lose that sense of social standing in mm-hmm. the eyes of the world. But Jesus rem- uh, reminds us by asking this question, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And if we read Matthew chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 16, and some of these things are hard to us or offend us, we have to remember the value of the soul there, mm-hmm. what's really at stake. And we would not want to gain the treasures of this world. We would not want to gain the social connections. We would not want to gain this sense of, well, nobody can talk to me that way, kind of pride and lose our soul in the process. And and that all of this was going to be happening. I think at the end of the chapter, this was going to be happening quickly. He says, some of you will not taste death until you see the son of man coming in his kingdom. That what Jesus was going to establish has been established. Well, what a rich section of Scripture. Bill, as you start thinking about who Jesus is in these two chapters, what is the big takeaway for what we should see about walking with Christ? It's that Jesus is truth, and Jesus is the source of truth. And it's not—the truth doesn't come from whatever our traditions are. Truth doesn't come from the fact that we're afraid of offending people. Truth doesn't come from the fact that I've created my own version of who Jesus is. You see how kind of Peter gets rebuked in that? That, that real truth is found in Jesus, is found in knowing th- this Jesus that we're seeing in the Gospels and in knowing him. That, that That's where real truth is. That's great. And with that real truth, I think there's a similar connection of real righteousness, mm-hmm. right? It comes back from the heart. Yeah. And our sins, they begin in the heart. But righteousness, it begins when Jesus gives us that new heart, cleanses our heart, and we want to serve him and follow him from the heart. So, so what are some personal things that you kind of see for us, like personal takeaways from these, from these two chapters? I think we have to consider how sensitive we are. Mm. Am I willing to hear those 
difficult truths that the scriptures reveal Mm -hmm. from the very words of Jesus and his apostles. And if I'm pushing back and not willing to make changes in my life, then I'm going to miss out on blessings. I have to consider, will I really stop, deny myself, take up my cross and follow him as I've been invited? Yeah. Well, as we go a little bit broader, Bill, to our connections in the community with our own family, what do you see as an application for Matthew 15 and 16? That people are going to be offended. I mean, that's just as you talk to people, as we know, we we sometimes get offended, yeah. we're sometimes sensitive. As you talk to people about God, as you talk to people even about what their maybe preconceptions are of who God is versus what the scriptures are, you'll notice that people will, will be offended. May not, they may not want to talk to you again, but the people who who do want this— what you're offering them through Jesus is life. And so we can't change what true is as we talk to people in the world because we're afraid of offending them. We have to say that speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. Fantastic. Well, thank you for listening in this week on A Year with Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 and 16. If you want to follow along in our reading plan, you can find the full list at embryhills.com slash podcast. Next week, we'll be in Matthew 17.